That, isn't that what this is about? Isn't that why we're talking here? Is because someone else doesn't have to be vulnerable to listen to me. They can just listen to me and, and, and through that, hear that it's okay. That you're, you're not crazy. You're not messed up. Um, you are you and you're as valuable now as you ever were and as valuable as the next guy down the street. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Darkness to Life, an OCJ podcast here in the Plugged In Media Network studio extraordinaire. Uh, I am Rick Armstrong and I am here with my friend Ryan Oscar and today's guest, Jeremy Alcorn. Hello. Good morning. How's proverbial as we start how's everybody doing today ryan how are you today uh i'm doing i'm doing pretty well today got some good sleep last night had a you know crazy last week it's been very busy but um i know how important self-care is and i know exactly what i need to do when i get to those moments and it involves hitting the gym a few times and getting the proper sleep and crushing a pizza. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I heard, heard a rumor of you putting almost the whole pizza inside of you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, you know, minus that piece, I, I've i taken care of myself this week and uh, I feel good today. I yeah, feel really there's, good. There's value in putting a pizza inside of a guy. Too. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> Jeremy, how are you doing today? And and, uh, and we start every episode. This is a non-superficial question. Absolutely. And, and I think uh, that that position, I listened to some episodes and that, that position that people just are saying, hello, they're mm-hmm. not actually saying how you doing. And uh, that is not a, probably a healthy thing in our world. Um, you, if you're going to say it, you better care. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I have chronic back pain and last night was not a good night. I woke up feeling pretty wrecked and I was like, Man, what am I going to do today to sort myself out? Usually, I, I get a good like hour and a half of kind of physio exercise stuff that gets me going. But today, I just listened to my body. I was saying, today is not that day. And uh, and so, did some other things. I got a red light that I use, kind of get myself going. And uh, and then as I did get myself going, quite honestly, I was like vibrating with excitement. Because there is like some, I think, really important things to say, and I feel ready to say them. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Well, yeah, with that, I guess, you know, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, giving a little bit of background, and uh, and what are you here to talk about today? Yeah, yeah. So, um, as we first connected, uh, it was a, a colleague of mine that said, hey, maybe it's a good idea to, to connect with these guys in, in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. And um and in, in particular, she was talking about um, attention deficit disorder, and and uh, and and recently in our community, there's kind of been, I think, a really kind of negative slant that has gone towards this particular condition, um, and some of the the medications have been demonized, and and uh, and not a really good kind of balanced view about that, um, and 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 then from from there, I started to listen to some of the the podcasts, and I thought, huh. Man, I got a lot to say, and um, and the first part was being able to come 
in into this with a position of my story. And my story is one of both you know, experiencing mental health concerns. And I would challenge anyone out there that says they haven't. You, uh, so last 17 years I've worked as a mental health therapist. Um, I have a master's degree in social work, uh, clinical specialization. And um, give me an hour with you and you might have a different idea about your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and about what other people's lives are, uh, the, the number of people that, that come in um, into my office and they say, my, my concern is I have a generalized anxiety disorder or you know, I have depression. And, um, and as we get into things and, and, and they'll say, you know, I had a wonderful childhood. And I'm like, oh, I'm not actually saying you, you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, our society doesn't know what little human beings need to become healthy adults. We've lost that along the way. And, uh, and our society as a whole is, is having problems. And looking at this and understanding that we need a social recovery, <coughs> not just an individual recovery from, uh, from our concerns. That's, that's why actually I was so excited about um, what you're looking at here, because you could say when you're, when you're looking at, at mental health or, or addiction, foundations are, are, are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you could say there's one thing that predicts wellness, and that's connection. And we have lost that in a massive way. For sure. And so, what are people connecting to then? Um, and because as, as, as uh, beings of attachment, which we are, we will connect to something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, so then these same people that say my, my childhood was what was wonderful, then by the end of the appointment, they're going, wow, huh, I didn't realize that I held some resentments. I, I didn't realize. And, and some of these things being so tangled up in, in why they relate to their world the way they do today. And, um, and so, so long, long, long time ago, uh, it's been two, three years ago, I, I came to a place of realizing I, I don't want to teach people to cope with their life. I, I, I don't want people to cope. I want people to live. Like, yeah. I'm going to get into the roots of what's happening for somebody. Let's see what we can heal. And, and then let's cope with whatever's left over. Mm-hmm. How familiar are you with the 12-step process? Like, are you yeah, yeah. well-versed in it? Sure, sure. In fact, I was listening to some of your um, earlier stuff, and I, and I really liked uh, a, a lot of things. Like, one of the things, and I might have a different, this is, this is my opinion, right? It doesn't make me right. I don't even know if there's a, a thing that you could measure that is ultimate truth. I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's, it's about combining and sharing together and understanding. And so, so one of the things that really stood out to me is that the 12-step process is an organized way for someone to develop into wellness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think the initial, you know, from a lot of people that we've talked to and, and our, well, I shouldn't say our, at least my experience, mm-hmm. I don't want to speak for you. Um, you know, the 12 steps can d- be divided up into three categories, really. Um, and it's, it's finding a spiritual connection is the beginning mm-hmm. and whatever that looks like, whatever your spiritual connection. Right. And, but it's connection yeah. is what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I for, can't do it alone. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people that, you know, that might be God of a, of a religious facet. It might be just the community as a whole of AA. 
or any or any of the 12 step groups um it might be like it can be anything right it just it, developing a connection with a with something other than you and then it's let's deal with some of those processes let's de- let's let's shine a light on some of our past experiences and let's d- drill down and find out the root cause behind some of these resentments mm-hmm. um step five is really step four and five is really centered around resentments and fear right let's identify what those actually are let's call them out and let's figure out what's going on behind them because ultimately that's what holds you in this place of being unhealthy and then the last third of the program is is based around service work giving back supporting your community Mm -hmm. which again i think ties into connection right Yeah. So it is very much in line with, I think, everything you're speaking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, that sounds like a, like a, a great um, a place to kind of start to talk about my own my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, have five older sisters and uh, and one brother. I, I I fail to say that every time <laughs> until today. And uh, good job. The, the the fail to say I have a brother is because I never met him. Is because he died. Okay. And, um, and, and that actually becomes, I think, a really big part of, of my, my story. Um, he was the second oldest and died from sudden infant death syndrome when he was like three weeks old. And, and as a result of that, uh, it, it meant that another person who was very important in my life came into, into our family because my, my mom was in a place that she needed a baby to love. And there was a baby that needed love. And, uh, and so my sister was uh, adopted and uh, my oh. sister, Cheryl. Yeah. And, uh, and she's, you know, life, life is complicated. She's um, uh, uh, indigenous from the, the blood tribe. And, and so this is a complicated thing, you know, cause I go through school and, and I hear about the sixties scoop and I hear about, you know, assimilation and those things are true mm-hmm. in terms of the kind of impact in, in people's lives. And, and at the same time, I can't imagine my family without my sister. Yeah. In fact, I, I remember I was like, I was five years old, um, and my, just about five. My mom was trying to make me take a nap. My, my oldest, uh, next oldest sibling is five years older than me. And so I'm laying in bed, and, 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 I'm, and I'm like, hmm. hey, mom, how come Cheryl's brown? And, uh, and, and, and she's like, well, oh, uh, you, you, you don't. No, she, I, I didn't give birth to her. And another lady gave birth to her who was, who was brown. And, um, and, and, and then, then she became part of our, our family after that was adopted. And, and to me as this five-year-old kid, it just, oh, okay. That just totally made sense. I was right. all right. It didn't, that, that, it didn't matter. Nothing else actually mattered. It didn't matter that, uh, that she wasn't different to me. She's my sister. And, um, and so that was really an important part of my life. In fact, um, as we start to understand these things, um, she was really, really connected with me. And I was really, really connected with her. And connection, of course, is, is critical, right? It's just, and, and this isn't about fault, it's about understanding. It's just that that relationship was actually, actually competition. It was competition for, for my parents, my, my mom. Attachment competition is actually not good. Yeah. It's not actually healthy because the way a human being develops and that foundational develop, it, development is from, you know, your, your parents and the one that's usually closest is mom. And, um, and so that, that 
I, I wouldn't go back and say, hey, somebody's fault, <clears throat> something needs to happen differently. But it certainly was something that, that influenced me and my process. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, sitting here and listening to you, Jeremy, is is mind-blowing for me because, you know, talking about this kind of stuff is what's, you know, helping people understand, even myself today, understanding something new in my life. And, you know, you talked about, you know, as a child, you know, our upbringing, yours was normal. You came from a normal home. You came from a normal home. Like, up until I got into recovery and started doing the work in the 12 steps, the step four and five, right? I didn't really know what a normal home was. I knew it was normal to me and that's what I grew up in. So up until I was 40 years old, I thought, man, I just came from a normal home Mm -hmm. until I started to talk about this with other people and recognize what other upbringings look like. Then I had something to kind of base mine off of and realize that some of the stuff that I went through probably wasn't beneficial. Sure, sure. Yeah. And it's not about blame. Like no, a, for sure like not. A, it's, it's, it's very, um, so important. So many people get caught up in shame and blame. And, um, and, and that's like a really great spot to, to jump off of in terms of attention def- deficit disorder in particular. Um, I was diagnosed at age 42. Um, I figured that I probably had the condition. Um, I thought that for a long time um, because I was terrible in school, you know, and like uh, teachers continually saying, you know, love this kid. He's awesome. Yeah. Because I didn't have the hyperactivity. Um, and, and so I was very obedient, whatever. So, but man, he could really put in more work. And, um, and what did that really say to me? I was lazy. Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't think the teachers meant that, but that's, that's what I got from it. And then I just really didn't have what it, what it takes. Um, to be able to do that, it's like the, I say, I can't force myself to do that. It's impossible. Right. And um, and and at age forty-two, then my my niece, after I was diagnosed, she she said, "Hey, I know about this book. Why don't you why don't you check this out?" And here I'd been a therapist for a long time, and you know I thought I knew my stuff, but there is so much. Nobody knows everything. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I, I got into this book called Scattered Minds by Gabor Mate. And he started talking about attachment. And I thought I understood that, and I didn't. And, uh, and he started to talk about what, what is the foundation of attachment. And the foundation is attunement. This position in which you're on the same level. That as a, as a little baby, our brains are wired through our experiences. And, uh, and this attuned position creates uh, a connected brain. And uh, and uh, an experience in which there isn't attunement, then creates a brain that doesn't have connections, particularly in the front of your brain where judgment is mm-hmm. and impulse control and so forth. Um, so this this notion of deficit, an attention deficit, deficit happens. How 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 does a deficit occur? And, uh, and the deficit occurs in an attuned experience. That doesn't, so we're not necessarily talking about neglect or abuse, not necessarily. Like for, for my own experience, there was this, uh, this um, attachment competition, and that's probably relevant. And, and, and also, and, and you notice I say probably, you know, because that's important. Can, yeah. can we say who, absolutely? Who really knows? Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, and also, my, my mom had rheumatoid arthritis. She had that from before I was born, was in pain. All of the time. So I'm just going to stop you for one second. I don't mean to interrupt, but like, this is just getting too creepy for me. (laughs) So I am an adopted child. Yeah. 
I had a brother I never met because he passed away as an infant. Wow. My mother has struggled with rheumatoid arthritis, crippling at times yeah. rheumatoid arthritis. We were meant to meet, and I'm not joking. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, it's, yeah. I've been like sitting here going, oh, I had a brother. That's kind of, yeah. And just like tick, tick, tick. And, yeah. 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 We yeah. talk about that quite often. <laughs> it's, you know, Rick and I- Crazy have this weird connection too like that right we we joke that maybe we had the same mom maybe we had the same dad yeah because we share so many qualities and now maybe you've met somebody else that fits into your circle too right like yeah. it's weird how we're all meant to be in these positions at the right time yeah no kidding right like <laughs> no joke Ooh. and as, so so i gotta ask then because because it wouldn't surprise me you had like a really compassionate mom. Super compassionate. Like the someone most that kind, would be compassionate woman I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Like crippled up on the couch. And yeah, somebody's having a baby and so there's something cooking in the oven for them that's going over tonight. Hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. That, that is my mother. Yeah. In fact, even even saying this, um, like I, I just like I just I could just reconnect with my mom like right now. See, my mom passed away. Oh man. Yeah, that's a big part of my story too. Yeah. Um she died. I spent two years as a missionary. She died when I was gone. Oh that's and uh and I and I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to come home because I knew I wasn't strong enough to go back and she wouldn't have been okay with that. Yeah. And uh, and so I stayed and I went and I didn't tell anybody that it happened. Nobody knew but you know, the person that I was directly with and the people, you know, inside the mission. And then, you know, two, three weeks later, people started coming to me like, your mom died. Like, like, holy cow. Like, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I just heard that every day, all day long. And I, I know that they cared, but it's not what I needed. Yeah. You know, and I went months without sleeping, couldn't eat without vomiting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it ties back into this <clears throat> connection. When I was a little kid, I connected to her pain. That's what I attuned to. Why do you think I'm a therapist now? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that, that just makes sense. Absolutely. It's just, it meant that there's ways in which I couldn't, I could not be a burden on her. Couldn't. So, you know, five years old, I'm frying my own eggs. You know, and not because anybody else wouldn't, wouldn't do it for me. You know, six years old, I have this boiling bowl of soup that I spill on my own lap that I had cooked. We end up with a, you know, third, a second degree burn on my leg just because I'm going to do this on my own. I ain't going to be a burden to anybody. Wow. And um, yeah, and so that, that position of an attunement makes it really important. This, this particular condition is underdiagnosed. That is to say, people are saying, man... Here we are, we're diagnosing all these, these kids and, uh, and we're overdiagnosing boys and, and, and we're numbing them out with medication. I want to I wanna give a different perspective um, because I paid a, a big cost through my life and not knowing what was going on for me. And not just me, but my, my wife, my inability to be able to regulate my emotions because you have, your focus is dysregulated. It means your emotions are dysregulated. It means mm -hmm. your behavior dis is dysregulated. And, um, and so then we get caught in feelings feeling way bigger than <laughs> what they really are and um, anger coming way too quickly. And, um, 
and feeling like we got to control things <clears throat> and uh, we don't understand ourselves. We don't understand what's going on. And, um, and, and, and so this, this other perspective, I remember uh, someone was speaking to me and they're like, uh, I'm, I will not give my son medication. I'm not going to just drug him up and numb him out. And I was like, well, you don't actually understand this condition. Mm-hmm. This particular medication <clears throat> is going to create connection in the front part of his brain that is lacking. Um, now, it's not a cure. Um, uh, but at the same time, it could be very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and you could just stop. You know, if this isn't working, it's not working for your kid, it's not making a difference, then you could just stop and and that'll that'll be okay for sure why would you deny your kids something that could help them yeah yeah for sure because we know as well as anybody that if you know if not saying that that's the right thing to do but everybody's you know in charge of their own life and you know looking after your kids and stuff but i know firsthand rick and i both we found those connections elsewhere in the you know in those parts of our brain and that led us down a real dark path and and you know who knows if we would have you know, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're going through all of the, you know, the irritable discontent, you know, the emotions, I'm like, yep, check, 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 mm-hmm. check. Right. And early on in my life, I, well, even late in my life, I was diagnosed with several different diagnoses and prescribed different solutions. And, and I'm very thankful that I found the solution that I did in the programs that I do. And I, it's mm-hmm. not a chemical solution. For yeah, me. absolutely. Um, but not to discount the necessity of that at all. Like, I, sure. you know, I, I, I can appreciate that my solution isn't the only solution and what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you, nor was my coping mechanism healthy or appropriate. And we're all entitled, you know, just whatever that help looks like, why would you deny getting it? For sure. Absolutely. And I would not say that it is healing. In mm-hmm. fact, that, in fact, I would say that, that this is a coping strategy. And, and like I said before, we cope with whatever is left over. Yeah. And uh, like, like for, for me, I, I started by going, man, I got to sort something out because uh, I, I just I got a whole ton of paperwork at, at work that I can't make myself do. And I'm just not being very um, good with my time. Those are the costs that I saw. I missed mm-hmm. the other things that I described as costs. I, I didn't. I didn't see them. So, so finally, I'm like, ah, you know what? I'll, I'll go see a psychiatrist. Let's see. And I know the psychiatrist in town, so I picked the one I wanted to. And you know, and I'm, I'm going to see if Doctor Voodoo will see me. I wasn't sure if he would because dual relationship. Mm-hmm. I, we have um, <clears throat> professional processes. Got to make sure boundaries are right. And sure. and um, he agreed to see me. Went through the testing. I felt stupid, to be honest, because he's like, remember these five things. And then a few minutes later, what were the five things? I got two. And I was like, after I was like, Dr. Boot, I don't even get this. I sit in an interview with someone. I track stuff yeah. from multiple appointments. I remember stuff from people I saw eight years ago. It's like a file opens up in my head. I don't, I don't get it. And he was like, well, you know, don't really worry about it. We're not actually measuring the same thing that w- as what you're talking about. Um, so, you know, he goes, yeah, this is going to be a uh, correct attention deficit disorder is relevant. And I'm going to start using some medicine. The medicine helped immediately, except not in the things that were most important. Like I could focus, um, and I could start getting things done, but I still dysregulated. It wasn't until my, my niece, Lene said, Hey, check out this book. And I started to understand <laughs> what needed to happen. And, and, and the summary part is 
I'm all grown up now. There is no mom, dad to, you know, attune to me now. I got to attune to myself. That is, I got to start to be the parent Mm -hmm. to myself in which I start to give myself compassion. I start to actually accept me with my mistakes. And, uh, and so when, when you guys were describing the process you were talking about through the 12 step program, and I was thinking, wow, this is a formalized way to do what I was doing in my life. We, Damien, who unfortunately isn't here, he's in the Middle East still. Um, he talks about all the time, right? That the 12 steps of the fellowships of the anonymous programs, they're, they're not, they're not for like, they're just basic human, you know, you don't need to be an alcoholic or an addict or anything to see the benefit of it. It is, it is a human solution and, and it's, it's limiting almost by saying it's Mm -hmm. just for addicts and alcoholics because the experience of going through that process will be beneficial to anybody, everybody. For sure. Because I mean, nobody's coming to the table with the perfect life, right? For sure. The proverbial perfect life doesn't exist. And we talk about that all the time, right? It's a shame that we had to burn our lives to the ground to be exposed to something so beneficial in our lives that these programs, right? For sure. And that's something that, you know, one of, one of the efforts that we're trying to change, I think is, is, you know, for me, it took getting that dark for Ryan. It took getting that dark. And that was the catalyst, you know, pain, pain stems change. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hopefully people can live through our experiences in these conversations and, and maybe not have to get quite as far down that rabbit hole of burning their life down before they go, hey, wait a minute, mm-hmm. that sounds familiar. Maybe I can preemptively have a conversation with a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a, a, somebody who's somebody. got some lived experience, just For somebody, sure. right? Just, oh, just communicate and yeah. become connected with somebody. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we, we, we could say human development really has two fundamental processes. One is attachment mm-hmm. and the other is authenticity. And, um, and how is it that it gets jumbled? Well, part of our, part of our world, our society has moved in such a, a behavioral position, behavioral focus. If I could go back and slap P.F. Skinner and say, dude, <laughs> you know what? People are not pigeons. <laughs> I would, I think I'd like that. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but um, and so we get into a place in which how, how do we relate? How, what's the, what's the way, especially when we're little, the kids don't know how to regulate. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing? We're saying, don't act that way. What are we telling them? Don't be who you are. Yeah. Instead of, instead of getting in with them in a place in which like, this is, you don't know how to, to feel this. It's big for you. For sure. You don't know how to cope with with not being able to do what you want or not, not being able to have what you want. But, but you know what? I'm bigger than you and I'm stronger than you. I'm wiser than you and I can be kind. And I'll be with you right now Yeah. until this feeling, until it comes and it goes. And I'll show you by being with you how you work through that. For sure. We, we, just, we don't have that in our world. No. And you know, you know what you just said, is something that I've been working on for the last few months now. Cause I don't know if you know, Rick knows I'm 46 years old. I'm going to have a baby, hmm. which is, you know, never was a, a thing in my future. I stand by it that it's crazy, but go ahead and continue. <laughs> but I recognize, you know, the, the coping and the, well, even just the way that my previous life used to be got me to where I was. Right. And that wasn't a very healthy place. And I recognize the way I was brought up. And like we said earlier, it's not about blaming anybody or shaming anybody, right? But what I recognized as being a parent is how I parented. 
And now, you know, I follow my social media feeds are psychologists and they're, and they're specialists in parenting and stuff like that. Right. And that what you just said about, you know, when somebody young like that, somebody who's two or three and is having a struggle, you know, I was brought up at the time, you know, like, let's fix this. Don't you cry. Let's not do this. Don't do that. This is how we're going to do it. Right. And now it's like exactly what you just said, right? I recognize this is heavy for you. Let's, let's sit down and, and figure this out together or I'm here to listen and I'm here to be kind to you. And Mm -hmm. that's been mind blowing for me. Yeah. One of my big struggles, you know, and I've talked about it in this podcast several times, right. Is how I can still really, you know, get the hammers out and beat on myself. It's a struggle for me to, it, it, it is, you know, with, with being aware, right. Um, it's a struggle for me to not really internalize a lot of failure is probably not the right word, but I I don't offer my children necessarily the same compassion I offer people outside of my house, Mm -hmm. which is a real struggle for me. And, and I can really go to a dark place in my mind when I recognize that, you know, I haven't handled this situation appropriately. Right. Cause I am at the end of the day, that fixer, right? Yeah. Like, let's get to the, let's get to the solution. Let's mm-hmm. skip, let's just get there. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I do have moments that are like amazing, spiritually uplifting moments. You know, when I go, you know, you're, you, whatever you're feeling, it's cause you're supposed to be feeling it and you're in the right place and I'm here for you and whatever that looks like, we'll get through yeah, it. Man. But then the next day something else happens and I'm at the other end of the spectrum, just like snap of a finger. Right. And I'm like, dude, that's not a big deal. Why are you making a big deal of that? Well, and then I'll go I'll be laying in bed and be like, man, that totally could have been a big deal. Sure. Him. And I totally just for sure, yeah. washed right over it. Right. And then I get in my head going, oh, I'm a shitty dad. And then <laughs> yeah, down yeah. the rabbit hole I go. Right. Yeah. You, you know, an interesting thing, uh, and I think this is really essential for every parent out there. Like for me, I wish I knew this stuff 20 years ago. My daughter's 20 years old. Sure. My son's 16. And like, I, I just, I have some big regrets. And at the same time, um, there's some really good data that, that perfect parents don't raise good kids Yeah. because kids need a model of somebody that knows how to fix when they screwed up. Mm-hmm. That's the, my biggest piece moving forward. And, and, um, I think back to when I was very, very close to taking my own life. And one of the, one of the frustrating pieces in the moment and not to say that it's accurate or true, but in the fog of the moment, it was my truth was, um, like I, I, my children will be better off without me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of people telling me, you know, in the moment, you know, think about your children, you're batting your children, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going like, I I am thinking about my children. This is the most compassionate thing I can do. And, And I truly, that was my truth at the time. Looking back on it now, the only lesson I would have left them with is it's okay to quit. And, uh, and that's my big motivation moving forward is, is giving myself permission to not get it right, but also holding myself accountable enough to, to apologize for it and own it when I do and have, and have that conversation, right? I, I have more conversations with my children about what I've done wrong in the moment, you know, maybe not in the moment, but f- later on that evening or whatever it may be than I do. Yeah. I spend a lot of time trying to just own and have conversations about not knowing all the answers. Right. Cause I think I can't remember my dad ever apologizing to me sure. <laughs> for anything. Right. It, it, and not to say that that, that is a fault on his part. It was, it's, 
he didn't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And, sure. and, and like I we're not talking about blame. That. We're just talking about facts. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I think that's a big part of it is just giving my kids the example of it's, it's okay not to be perfect and it's, but own it, right. O- own, own yourself. Wow. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, the, the, the really big true healing came the start point was when I, I read that book and it sent me down a rabbit hole in which I picked up everything that I, that I could in terms of understanding what does, what does this, this look like? It really moved through Gabor Maté's work. Amazing um, work. Yeah. And, um, incredible. It really led me to a place of understanding like, like chronic illness, uh, like physical illnesses, uh, mental health concerns, addictions, they, they really have the same foundation mm-hmm. that is our human biology. Um, emotions are a physical thing that somehow along the way, the other person I want to slap is, is, is Rene Descartes. Don't say him, man. No, I think therefore I am sorry. You cannot slice the mind out of the body. The body is the mind. Where do you think the mind lives? It lives in your body. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> And, 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 and coming to an understanding that everything is physical, that when we have sadness, sadness is just a word that we're using for physical sensations that we're feeling and being able to, to recognize that that word isn't enough, but the, the position of being able to actually know your body and where do I feel it and how do I feel it? Because my body isn't just necessarily feeling whatever happened right now. Because if that feeling is really big, then it's not just about right now. Yeah. No, that it's about something that my body remembers from before that it never sorted out, and it can, it can if we if we allow us to to reconnect and we allow our thoughts, feelings, our memories to mm-hmm. reconnect. And I, and I've seen it. I've seen people heal, and so for me, the real healing came then not only from that reading, but then going, oh, I gotta go see somebody. Oh, this sucks. Yeah. Because I know everybody in this town and they're my colleagues. How is this going to work? No, this ain't going to work. And, uh, and so then I put it off and then it's like, oh, I got to go. I got to go. So then I'm, I'm looking to see who might work. And, and, I, and I had someone picked out. And then, and then I went, wait a minute. Dang it. They, they, they work at the location that I want to start my own practice in. This ain't going to work. And so, so finally I, I, I found some, somebody that, that there was enough distance and that first appointment, I just, I just, I just cried for half the appointment. By the way, a human body can't cry for more than 20 minutes, just so you know. So people say, no, this is going to rip open and I ain't going to be able to package it away. Not true. Can't cry for more than 20 minutes. They, but I cried all night. Not continuously. <laughs> right. you, you cried and then your body let go and then built up again. You cried again. That's actually okay. Yeah. It's not going to go on forever. Um, so anyway, and uh, at the end of that, that, that appointment, the, the next day, I just had all this stuff flowing through my head and, 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 I, and I created this map of my life that was like the different things that happened and how they might be related. Because cause I said, I said to, the, to the therapist, I said, I don't, I don't know how to connect. I don't. I, I don't know how to let somebody really into my life and it felt so good to help. I had to help thousands of people at that point in time, a very intimate connection to someone in therapy, but not, not the same, mm-hmm. not vulnerable on my part. It's a one-way conversation. 
Yeah, there's two human beings there, but one human being is vulnerable. The other is not. Mm-hmm. That's big. That's big. And I know that's one of the things I discuss when I, when I first got into the industry of you know addiction counseling and stuff. And when I got this role as a crisis worker and I would take people, that's one of our big things here is we, we walk beside somebody into their first meetings because it can be a terrifying experience going into some of these meetings, right? Yeah. And I remember the first year I was in this profession. And I would be going to two, three meetings a week with people, right? Mm-hmm. And it, ha- it was a real eye-opener to me when one of my colleagues said, that is great, but how many meetings have you gone to for your recovery? That's not your recovery. You're going as a professional, you know, walking through the door with somebody. So it's not giving me a chance to be vulnerable and look at my piece. It's, you know, being a support for somebody, even though I'm exposed to the messages in the room, I'm not there for myself. Yeah. And, and, and but Ryan, isn't there something interesting here? Like some the the like the like the whole model of therapy that uses externalization, and uh, because it, it it removes this potential kind of really close vulnerability to yourself and mm-hmm. allows some space for you to look at things, and uh, like, can you really say that other people's experience didn't actually heal you? Yeah. along the way. That, sure. Isn't that what this is about? Isn't that why we're talking here is because someone else doesn't have to be vulnerable to listen to me. Mm-hmm. They can just listen to me and, and, and through that hear that it's okay, right. it, that you're, you're not crazy. You're not messed up. Um, you are you and you're as valuable now as you ever were and as valuable as the next guy down the street and, and to be able to, to do that. Right. Well, that is my story, right? Mm-hmm. Is that first meeting I went to, I was entirely suicidal walking in the door and it wasn't until I heard somebody else tell his story that I, I got to begin my healing yeah. was through him sharing his story, which really, you know, if we look at it from a super high lens, that's what this whole OCJ thing is, mm. is, you know, the power of shared experience, the power of my lived experience gives gives you permission to share your story, to start your healing and, you know, and, and just reach out and know you're not alone. Right. Cause I know in every single person that I've talked to, that's, it's been in, in darkness of one form or another, right. They feel isolated alone. and alone and disconnected. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the overarching in, intent of this whole thing that we're trying to do is make sure that there's a voice for whatever you're feeling in it, mm-hmm. even if it isn't yours today. Yeah, absolutely, right? And uh, and and one of the big things that came out of therapy for me I never would have um guessed and I, I couldn't have seen it. Um in, in the first appointment, I don't even remember the exact thing that was said, but something that really made me feel defensive like hey, you leave my lump, my mom out of this. Yeah. You know, like you don't know my mom. Yeah. My mom's like the best person ever walked on this earth. You leave my mom out of this. Um and uh it, but but yet as I as I moved further in, I went, "Oh, wow, I have resentment and that's ridiculous. And there's shame there because I have that resentment. And I, I could not let myself feel that. I couldn't do that. And, and realizing, ah, so as I was a missionary, my, my parents got permission to see me as they were, they were going through. And then, then I got a letter. And in that letter, the, one, the, the last thing my mom said was dedicate yourself a thousand percent to your mission. And then she died. And, uh, and I didn't go home. Is that, is that a coincidence? Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and yeah. And, and so, so there was, there was a, a number of things that were really caught up there and, 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 and realizing, wow, 
here I am. I was just this little kid that we made bread together. We, we made cookies together. We did all these wonderful things together. And, and how could I hold resentment? And yet that's true. So I, so I really want to tell whoever's listening, this is not about blame. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really isn't. You could have had wonderful, fantastic experiences. And doesn't it change that maybe something hooked that you don't understand for sure that left you in a place in which you don't know how to deal with it and um and 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 then when i when i worked through that resentment i worked through the shame that was associated with it then then i really came to a place of healing i could start to when i could start to relate to myself that way then then all of a sudden it comes back to to what you said earlier rick that is you treat these other people in your life that aren't very close to you quite, you know, with respect, kindness, compassion. But I treat people that are close to me like I treat me. And that wasn't very nice. Yeah. And, uh, and when, when I could start to heal, then, then I could start to, to treat these other people that are most important to me um, with, with that compassion and love. And, 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 and from there, man, what do I do? How, how, how do I collect these people into a real relationship with me. Um, because although I was uh, uh, 40, you know, three years old at this time and realizing I don't really know how to do this. Now, although mm-hmm. I, I healed, I still got to learn. I still got to go, okay, well, what does this look like then to have someone in, in my life? How do I relate to my son? How do I relate to my wife? How on earth did she live with me for that long and not say, dude, get out of my life? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, it's just amazing. You know, I, up until I was 40 years old, I, had a, I thought I had everything figured out. You know, it was my way. I had this all under control. And, you know, once I got into recovery in uh, six years ago now, and I started to hang out you know, they talk about how in recovery, you got to change people, places, and things if you want to progress successfully in recovery. And and when I changed people, I had no idea it was going to be, you know, the level of people I was going to replace my old friends with were going to be, you know, people in helping professions and psychologists and stuff like that, right? People who aren't afraid to take off that professional mask and share their lived experience, just like you're doing today. And man, every day that I've had these conversations with people, I learn more and more about myself. It's, it's this continuous process of learning about what I went through, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and how that impacted me. I had no idea that, you know, those, those first 10 years of my life were going to be so, they were going to form the rest of my life. And that's the biggest learning piece for me is, you know, figuring out those first 10 years, those experiences were massive in my life. And I, and, and I recognize that's, you know, huge in everybody's life. And those, you talked about it before, right? Like when our, when we're two, three, four, and five, and our brains are, you know, connecting and making these connections to experiences that we've had and not dealing with them and carrying those experiences forward, you know, the, the whole thing, we've talked about this before, the, the ACEs, the mm-hmm. adverse childhood experiences, right? How big stuff like that is in our lives. And we, I never, I can check just about every one of those boxes off. I score, it's ridiculous how high I score on that thing. And now I look back and I think, well, no kidding that, you know, I had all these issues moving forward. 
And the more I hear you talk, the more things just start clicking for me all the time. What, what I find really interesting is, is being, I guess, the layman at the table, right? With people educated in profession. I'm just the guy that's kind of recreationally trying to help people. Um, my experience in my education comes from 12 steps. So I'm, as you guys speak, I'm like, okay, how does this resonate with what I, what I know and For what sure. I've learned, right? And what I find really interesting is, is listening to you talk about how this isn't, this is a fact-finding mission. It's not about playing, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think, you know, to your step, step four, which is a personal inventory and how an inventory, it scares the hell out of people. When I'm sponsoring people, when I'm working with other people, you lose a lot of people at step four. They just kind of tap out and See go, ya. nope, not doing this, right? Because of the amount of fear that goes into that inventory. But if you can reframe it and just say like, listen, it's an inventory, no different than a business doing an inventory. It, it's just a fact-finding mission. It's mm-hmm. not about associating blame or, or shining a light on guilt. It's just, you don't know what you're dealing with unless you know what you got. So there's so much misguided fear, I think, around that inventory piece that it holds a lot of people back. And, and, and I know for me, in my experience, that's where so much healing came was realizing what is and what isn't real, really. I mean, I was holding resentments to people that if you just kind of break it down and you, and you look at things, it's like, man, one, like you said, very defensive when the first person, you know, when you get to that spot on mm-hmm. your list and mom comes up very much the exact same response that you had, right? Absolutely. No way. That woman's a saint. I'm an asshole for even thinking that I could have a resentment against that person, mm-hmm. but then to go, okay, but you know, you know, here's, here's the whys behind all that. And it isn't about assigning any guilt. It's just the reality of the situation. And once I can process my way through that, it loses its power. It loses its impact. It, not to say that it didn't frame the character of who I was. It becomes integrated. Yes. But it also gives me the ability to move forward beyond it and not Mm -hmm. just stay stuck in that, whatever I was as a result of it. Right. And it's amazing, the healing process. So I'm. As I talked, as I listened to you guys who are, who are professionals, the smarter the guys that develop the 12 steps seem to be, because <laughs> I'm like, man, it's, 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 it's amazing to me, the correlation between your healing process and the, and the experience that I had going through 12 step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, as I, as I became more aware of kind of what that system looked like and I looked at my, my own process, I went. Wow, this this is a structured way to do what what I what I discovered in the in the process for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's it just shines a light on, you know, there isn't there isn't a single solution. There's yeah. many avenues to get where you're going and just find what works for you, right? Keep turning over rocks until something sticks and and it doesn't need to be, you know, you don't need to be an addict. You don't need to be an alcoholic to have these, you know, that's just how I dealt with my shit. <laughs> I probably could have dealt with it in a much healthier way by going to see a counselor instead of going to see a Coke dealer, right? <laughs> probably in hindsight would have been a better choice for me. But 
there's um there's so much room for growth and but it it, it does take some rigorous honesty with oneself and a willingness to really look at everything mm-hmm. really you know i was trying to pick out a thing but it's it's everything you really got to look at everything yeah in, in fact as, as you say that one of the things that goes through my head is is really understanding what does the world look at what does the world see in terms of when we talk about mental health we talk about mental illness one of the things i did is i have the the diagnostic st- statistical manual right, right in front of me um you can see it's well worn mm-hmm. some light reading <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and uh, one one of one of the things I did is is look at this and actually, the the word they use over and over and over is disorder, mm-hmm. and that's actually I think an important distinction because they 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 don't you don't see them use illness, um, and and that that might sound um, like I'm splitting hairs, but actually I think there's something important here. Like I am, I'm not mentally ill. But what I mean by that isn't that I don't have a disorder. I mm-hmm. I, I do have a condition. Um, it's just that I'm well. Illness and wellness don't live in the same body. Um, and, and do I have moments of time? Well, yeah, just, just like any other part of my health. You know, uh, if, if I, I do something or I get exposed to something, I get, I get a flu or a cold or whatever, mm-hmm. then I'm, I'm ill until I'm, until I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and although this particular condition, it, it doesn't like, go away. That's not even actually the point. It's not about that. It's about not internalizing that I'm ill, not, not identifying with illness, but identifying with a position around what does, what does wellness look like? What does, what does health look like? And I've seen people that, in fact, there's, a, there's an individual, and I didn't ask permission from them, so I won't say any, any, any names. It's just an, an individual that, that told me, I, I have a uh, been diagnosed with a bipolar disorder. And I was absolutely shocked because this is one of the most severe of the conditions in terms of dysregulation and people trying to find balance. And, um, and because the, the person is not mentally ill, there, there may have been a time in which they were, and, and maybe mm-hmm. there's moments in, in the future in which that happens as well. Um, but, but I think it's a really important distinction. Yeah. Absolutely. And one of the things that jumps out at me when you talk about the difference, you know, people labeling it as an illness when it, you know, people at some point have been inflicted with this illness and it's the process of what they've done to turn it into wellness. And for me, it's, you know, I've seen it a lot in the social media memes and all these other things, right? It's the difference but that jumps out at me between illness and wellness is I and we, and it's that connection piece in order for me to get into wellness and continue being well, I needed to do my work and then I needed to be connected. And that's the W E in wellness for me. It's just staying connected and, and being authentic. You said it earlier about connection and authenticity. And those are two of the biggest pieces of recovery for me is I have to stay authentic and I have to stay connected. And that's, you know, one of the driving factors that keeps me moving forward in this wellness for sure journey of mine absolutely in fact one of the things that I've, I've struggled with I struggled in fact joining the um, the health region initially because um, we were required to, to diagnose as people entered and uh, as a provisional diagnosis in in our our process um, but sometimes we were the ones that are identifying something and handing them back over to a doctor or to psychiatry um, for for further 
um, diagnostic process and so forth. But one of the things I struggled with is that, and I'll, I'll just be super frank. For sure. I'm not, not saying that, that these aren't, aren't real. <clears throat> not saying that the conditions in the diagnostic manual aren't real. And that, that's not an, an argument at all. That certainly they're, they're real. It's just that, uh, that they're, they're also socially created. And, um, and, and what, I, what I mean by that is, uh, for example, um, Asperger's disorder doesn't exist anymore. Well, how can that be? If, if these are biological truths, right. then how could that have been and now isn't? Well, be, because it was, you know, reconceptualized. These, these are our concepts that we're talking about here. It's reconceptualized. We're talking about you know, individuals on the autism spectrum, which always, always was the case, but had their own title, right? Um, and then a new uh, condition as a DSM-5 came out, and that is social pragmatic communication disorder. That's, that's, a mouth, a, that's a mouthful, isn't it? I was just going to say that. <laughs> and, and no, I'm, no, I'm not making fun of it. Yeah. That, that's not the point. And, and you notice, you know, a sarcastic tone. Um, it's just, what about all those people that were 10, 12 years old and they're like, I have Asperger's um, disorder. And they, they had identified with that. And now you don't. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I not if there's a biological truth? For sure. And, uh, and, and, and really, you go and you see four different psychiatrists, you may get three different diagnoses. This, what they refer to as inter-rater reliability. That is multiple people using the same set of criteria come up with different, different ideas of what's wrong. Um, and so being in a place in which you really feel like, look, you, you treat the person, not the, not the diagnosis. Um, because it's a flavor, you know, and, and, and there's some details that are important. There, there are like a, there's a, um, a major depressive disorder. Eighty percent of people get better. So when someone says, "I, I have depression," I'm like, "Oh no, somebody gave you a bad message here, in which mm-hmm. you internalize that. We can make do so much harm in the mental health system. We can do so much harm because almost everybody gets better. And um, and and so like we, we got to better under, understand this. If you believe your problem is depression then that might, that might be a, a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's find out what's going on for you. Let's look at the big picture. Let's, let's find out who you are as a person and not as a disease. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's one of the biggest things that jumps out at me as well. Um, six years ago, I was diagnosed with depression. And nobody explained to me that you'll get better from this, right? It was, here's your label, put, put it on your shirt type thing, right? And now I have depression. But it, my rate of recovery from depression over the last six years has been amazing. And it's all contingent on what I've done to work through a lot of that stuff and clean up a lot of the stuff that caused that diagnosis in the, in the beginning, I believe. So today, yeah, I'm still on medication, but I have changed so many things in my life that I, you know, I truly believe that a, I needed to be on that medication at the start in order to kickstart, you know, my journey into recovery do I need it today? I'm not sure, but yeah, for sure. it's not impacting me today. So I'm going to continue taking the medication, Yeah. but the the yeah. level of wellness that I have today for is, sure. is, is ridiculous compared yeah. to where I was six years ago. Yeah. And like from that medical position, it's like, once you have a year in which you got a solid base, then it may be reasonable to talk to your doctor sure. about coming off at a slow rate and see how that, that goes. See if, you know, the individual might be one of the 20% 
not the 80%, you mm-hmm. know, that, that might need ongoing care. Like I, I take Vyvanse every single day um, because it helps me mm. and, uh, and it never <laughs> cured me, but it still helps me to um, have a, a more healthy process because um, attention deficit disorder is something that is still a part of my life. Um, doesn't, for the most part, doesn't make me ill. For sure. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I had to wrap my brain around at the start. And as I move forward in recovery was this medication isn't going to fix you. This medication is going to put you in a place where you're going to be able to start dealing with the rest of the things. Right. And I talk about it all the time with anybody who wants to know about medication in my life and any kind of mental health stuff is I'll talk about it because that's, you know, if somebody would have explained to that to me at the start, like you just explained it, I would have been wide open to you know, my, my mindset around it would have been a lot different than at the start. Probably would have, you know, looked at the depression years before I did, but it was never explained to me that way. And that's huge. The way that, just like you said there, you know, you might go to three different psychiatrists and get a few different diagnoses. And that's the same as meetings. That's the same as counselors, this and that, right? You, you might walk into a meeting and have a really horrible experience and never go back to a meeting again keep trying, you know, you have to find the right one that's a fit for you because everybody's going to be different and not everybody is going to fit into that square peg hole. Yeah. I know we come back to this frequently and it's, it's not at all, you know, I, I know the premise of OCJ is, and and this podcast is typically focused around addiction, substance abuse. At no point, and we're very clear about this, I think, do we ever discount mm-hmm. mental health as ADHD, bipolar, depression, you know, as absolutely contributing factors to mental health. We're not by any means saying that everything comes down to childhood trauma, addiction, substance abuse, right? There's, there's a million other things that impact all of that. But I know for my story and the vast majority of people, and I will never say everyone, but the vast majority of people I've spoken to, had they stayed using drugs and alcohol, you'll never get to a point that you can deal with the depression, the ADHD, the bipolar. Nothing, nothing will bring you down or up nothing will give you the instant gratification like booze and drugs. They'll win every single time. And so before we get to a place, you know, cause I, I, I've been diagnosed. I shopped around, right? Mm-hmm. I shopped around doctors. I shopped around psychologists. I'd been diagnosed ADHD. I've been diagnosed bipolar. I've been diagnosed depressed. I've been on antidepressants, antipsychotics. I've been, you, you name it. I've been there. And and I'm not today. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I won't be tomorrow. You know, and I recognize that, that these things ebb and flow. But I think it's important to just know that, m- at least for me and a lot of people in our circles, the catalyst was drugs and alcohol, right? If we, if before we can even have these real conversations about what, what's under the surface, whether it be through counselors, whether it be through that step four of a 12 step, you know, sobriety is a key, a key ingredient in getting to that point that you can have honest discussions. Cause I mean, 
I wasn't honest with myself, let alone anybody else when mm-hmm. I was in active addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get any of the benefits of anything until you start there. And that's, that's something I want to make sure people get is drugs and alcohol will solve these problems for you real oh, sure. quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like just a, by no means a yeah. lasting solution. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, uh, and I think I heard you say this, Rick, a few times as I listened to some of the other episodes, this position that if people really understand this, that the the addiction is uh, someone's attempted solution. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. And and that that is is really really true. And and it, the reason that that they continue is because it works temporarily while causing long term worsening. Yeah, drugs and alcohol were not our problem; they were our solution. Mm-hmm, right. Absolutely. Um. And uh, and just just quick, this last bit because I think just recoming back to this position around connection, um, and and how some of the the bigger picture mental health world. Would, pushed uh, over the last whatever has been now 40 years yeah a little better in the 1970s they they came up with some r- much better antipsychotic medications and then in 1989 Prozac came out and uh, and they found massive uh, improvements in ways that you never saw on the old tricyclic antidepressants and uh, and there's this position in the medical community that we found it that is we know what is wrong in terms of people with mental health conditions. It is uh, a chemical imbalance. Now, here, here's a, here's the struggle. The struggle is then we targeted so hard medications as the answer, and people accepting this biological truth that they are mentally ill, and and yet if that was the cure, then why do we have massive, massive issues now way more than we did mm-hmm. 20 years ago um that just doesn't make any sense if we found the cure things would be better and um so that position that it, it is a chemical imbalance is such a vast overstatement medications uh, as uh, dr bessel van der kolk said um not that they're not helpful as i said i take medicine every single day but it won't fix the issue of connection i have with myself mm-hmm. or with my tribe and you got to fix that or you don't get better. Wow. Yeah, 100%. I think one of the, well, you've talked about it lots too, right? You, you, you sought out lots of various professionals, um, spiritual leaders to try to figure out how do I love myself? And I think you've touched on that today, right? Through the book with Dr. Gabor Mate is, mm-hmm. you know, talking about that piece. That's huge. And, and laying out, how do I love myself? That's, that's. There's no map to it and everybody's going to be different, but by taking accountability and then reading that book, reading, you know, looking into this to figure, figure out how I can, I can start looking at myself and how I can start loving myself and being connected to myself. Because up until in my own experience, up until I was 40, I didn't know who I was. I can go over that over and over again. And and that whole connected piece to myself, I lived my entire life on values that were instilled on me from a very young age that Turns out weren't even my values. I didn't even really understand what those were. So until I figured myself out and connected to myself, I couldn't, you know, move forward successfully looking at other people and finding my tribe and finding what really, what I'm passionate about. And it's just, you know, I I feel like we just touched the surface today. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't, when I got to my jumping off point, right. 
I wasn't trying to figure out how to love myself. I was trying to figure out how to stop hating myself. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that was a win. How do I, how do I not want to die? Like that's, I didn't, I didn't look for recovery to try to improve my life. It, that I was in, in a place that that, you know, I didn't know that I would ever get to be happy. I just wanted to stop feeling like I wanted to die and stop mm-hmm. hating myself. And, and it's been said so many times here today in, in the last, I don't even know how it just keeps like the thing that keeps just hitting me in the head is we community yeah. connection, right? The first word <clears throat> and the first step of 12 step is we. Mm-hmm. First word, first step, we, we are not going to get through this alone. We are not going to get healthy alone. It is a community. It is a connection. I, I did not have a connection and I was sick as a result. Mm -hmm. And as my connection to my higher power, the universe, whatever you want to call it, to my connection to the community as, as as those grow, I grow and I get healthy mm-hmm. and that's a sliding scale. Like it, it, you know, it, it's not stagnant. It's not like I've achieved it. I'm good. Just maintain like it's, it's exponential. Right. The, the deeper I get in, the more, the more connected I become, the better I feel. And, and I just came here not wanting to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Right. And, and. Bormonte says it best, I think, the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. And when I first got into treatment, I had no idea what that meant. This was a me problem. Drugs and alcohol are the problem, I thought. And once, you know, I did some research, I started to look inward instead of pointing fingers at everyone else. That's when things started to get a lot clearer for me. And having conversations like this, every mm-hmm. day I have a a really cool conversation with somebody. That's one of my goals is to, you know, not just drift through life anymore and talk about all that superficial stuff we always used to talk about. It's like, let's really have a, an authentic conversation with people and let's discuss this. And let's, I think, and I'm sure we all talk about this. I'm sure you have an opinion on it as well. It's the only way to start erasing the stigma. I think that keeps us sick and keeps us isolated and keeps us disconnected is taking those band-aids off and start to have these normalized conversations about it. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that that message, that message that, um, not that it's okay to be mentally ill. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's terrible. For sure. It's, like, it's, it's okay to have experienced whatever you experience and to be who you are. And, um, and then there's a possibility, even if you have a condition that you can be well, you don't, you don't have to be ill. Right. For sure. I love it. And, and, and to understand that your wellness is going to look different than my wellness and not to compare, you know, where I am in life compared to you. And there's a lot that goes into this journey of wellness. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to have you back on to discuss more of this because this is, like I said earlier, this is just barely scratching the surface of where we wanted to go today. I know you have a <laughs> lot of stuff that you want to unpack and, and share with people and your knowledge base is it's through the roof, you know, and, and I'm personally looking forward to sitting down and having more of this conversation with you because it's, it's enlightening. And yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people need to hear these messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope this is the first of at least another, if not a series with oh, you. Oh, for sure. I would be happy to, yeah. to sit down. I mean, 
Yeah, I, uh, there's some experiences that I really would like to share. I feel like, why, why have me be the only one that benefited from that? Yeah. 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 So I guess with that, we'll look at a. You know, do you got any final thoughts for this episode anyway? And um, well, I guess the one thing I would just say in pulling it pulling it all all together would be that. Um, it, it doesn't matter where you are in life or who you are, where we all are going to struggle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the more you feel like you ought not to struggle, the, the higher the place you are, um, the, the more difficult it is to reach out and get help. Uh, when I worked for, for the military, I saw everyone from the no hook private to Colonel. And if there's anybody out there that is, is a military member or veteran that's listening, and to hear that a colonel walked into my office would be a big deal for them to hear that. And I'm telling you, the colonel had the same problems that the private did when it came to um, not feeling good enough, wow. you know, not being able to feel like they, they were going to be able to make the life that they wanted. Um, so it really is a universal experience. Amazing. Well, yeah, I think we've we've officially an hour and seven minutes in scratched the surface of this thing. <laughs> so, <clears throat> look forward to to uh, more conversations. And with that, uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for sharing with us, Ryan. Thanks for having you. Thanks for yeah, absolutely. It's happy to be here. Oh, absolutely, oh, sorry, dude. No, for sure. Mm-hmm. And every time that somebody comes in this studio and we sit down and we start talking about these authentic conversations. It just fuels me to have another one. Let's just keep doing this because this is where, you know, the magic is happening. It's not the light switch. It's not going to be fixed today. And I think you and your profession, you recognize that. So do I. I mean, it's it's this piece, the the normalizing it, the the connection, the authenticity, and let's just keep moving forward in this because, man, it's you never know who's going to hear these messages that needs to hear these messages. And so ends another episode of From Darkness to Life and our collective journey podcast and a special (laughs) shout out. Thank you to the the fine gentlemen of Plugged In Media Network for producing and providing studio space for us. The end. The end. (laughs) From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Contact Our Collective Journey on Facebook at Our Collective Journey or on the web at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Check out this and our other great podcasts at pymedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Is there-